Hey, Anchor Community, so glad to have you with us in this last teaching in our teaching series, Intimate Sex, Singleness, and the Art of Relating. Hey, let's begin with a confession. I mean, why not? Let's dive in the deep end right at the beginning. So here it is. I am a recovering codependent. Here's what that means is in high school, in every dating relationship I got, and I had this urge to call the girl I was dating over and over again until they picked up or they responded. I was not willing to wait for them to call me. And it was this tricky period in history where not every phone had caller ID, but it seemed that every one of my girlfriends had caller ID on their phone so they could tell that I had called many times. And oftentimes, it really put the relationship in jeopardy. But it wasn't just dating relationships, it was friendships as well. Well, I had this urge to always be with and to reach out. It was like I was believing this truth that I can't be me without you, which is the myth of codependency. I can't be me without you. And in fact, I didn't start to experience healing until I started following Jesus, until the Spirit started to work and transform my life, and I realized that, that I was who I was and God was making me uh, healed and transformed from the inside out. I didn't need another person to be me. But there's this equal opposite error, not of codependence, but of independence. Well, something you need to know about church planners is that church planners oftentimes are, are planting a church because they had a church experience that didn't meet their understanding of the ideal, the utopian, the dream that they wanted their church community to be. So they left one, they're planting another. And this was our, not only, not our experience necessarily, we went from a healthy church, we're excited to, 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 to start a new church, but what had a great church experience that we were leaving from. But coming to Tacoma, we met many church planners that had this sense of, uh, independence, uh, that I don't need connections and networks and friendships and support because, because, uh, because I, I can do it on my own. And oftentimes this kind of independence thing comes from one or two places. One is fear, that somebody has hurt me in the past, so no way will I let my guard down. In fact, I'm going to bring my guard up because I don't want anyone to hurt me like they have in the past. Or sometimes it's pride. I don't need you, I have enough. Thanks for asking, not interested. Most of the time, it's both. Fear and pride connected together. So if the codependence error, the codependence myth is I need you to be me, the independence error is I don't need you to be a better me. You can think of magnets of like one pole, they're, they're, they're stuck together, you can't pull them apart, that's codependence. And then you turn them around, they can't come close to each other, that's independence. The way of Jesus invites us to a better way. The way of Jesus invites us into a community that, that at least is aspirationally, emotionally healthy, Jesus-centered, interdependent, and spirit-empowered. The very first passage we looked at in this teaching series was 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And we talked about how we, as, as individuals, are, are, are spirit-filled and, and we are temples of the, of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there was the temple where God dwelt. Now we are filled, our, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But here's another little wrinkle on this passage that's important for us to mine out as we talk about moving beyond codependence and independence. 
each word, in each time Paul says you in that sentence, he's not saying the first person singular, you, but he's saying the, the second person plural, you. So it's y'all. So what Paul is saying is, do you not know, do, do you all not know that your, your, all of your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in all of you, whom you, re, whom you all received from God? You see, we tend to read scripture like this as an individual letter from an individual person, Paul to me. But really, it was, a, it was an individual, it was a letter written from a one person to an entire community. Oftentimes, we imagine or we, the best resources tell us that it was read like this, that one person reading it in front of the entire church community. You can imagine one person on a, on a, on a chair or on some type of higher ground so that there's access to voice and sight and and a person reading Paul's letter as the Corinthian church is, is, is all around. They're hearing these words. It's a, it's a document. It's a, it's, a, it's a letter written to this entire community. So on one level, like we talked about the first teaching, yes, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is, has, has become real to you, the Spirit of God fills you wants to grow you in gifts and, and, and empower you to be victorious over sin. But also, it's not just you, it's y'all. That y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That the community is the place where the Spirit of God dwells. So it is both individual and it's corporate. You know, with all of this last year, the isolation of, that we've had to in, endure and engage in because of the pandemic, some of the division that's caused isolation because of the topics that have surfaced and the contentious way that many have engaged with it, uh, we are in need of a y'all experience. We are in need of a you-all experience that moves us from the codependence of I can only be me if I'm with you and also moves us from the independence, I don't need you to be a better me. Paul speaking to this very reality, saying to the Corinthians and to this messy church community, struggling to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus, far from perfect, you all, as you gather together, as you engage in the common life together of following Jesus, you all are the place where God's spirit resides. He resides in, in your relationships. He resides in, in the space between you as you talk and pray and encourage each other. You all is the, are the place where the spirit of God resides. So to move beyond codependence and independence, we step into an emotionally healthy, spirit-empowered, Jesus-centered community, or at least one that aspires for that, is moving in that direction. So to help us unpack this uh, moving beyond codependence and independence uh, towards what Paul is saying, where, where the y'all experience of the Spirit of God touching down is something that we experience to help us, guide us. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that may be common to you. It's in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So I'm going to read it and, and we'll um, continue to follow this thread to help us move beyond codependence and independence. 
It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, quick disclaimer. If you've been around the church, you've oftentimes, you probably have heard this message preached in an incredibly inspirational way. Look how great this was. Let's go back to that. Or sometimes, and this is the church planner, I've been there. We dream of setting up a community that just looks exactly like that. But the reality is, is though the, this is incredibly beautiful and something to aspire towards. It was not utopia. Any glimpse at the first century church shows that there are incredible challenges and problems that continue to come up because we're continually battling our own sin and the community sin, our bias and our blindness. And so though this is not a utopia, uh, it, does, it does give us some insight on what does it look like to be this emotionally healthy, spirit-empowered, Jesus-centered, y'all community. And the first is uh, first guide, the first way of understanding it is, is seeing the many gifts on display. You see, again, I'm going to keep saying this. We move beyond codependence and independence when we recognize the many gifts of the Jesus-centered community. Check this out. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they're, what they're doing is they're, they're setting their minds on, on the intellectual, theological truths passed down to them from the ones that were by Jesus' side himself. So they're devoting themselves. They're not just haphazardly believing them, but they're committing with vigor. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. But it's not just this. It's that they also, there's many wonders and signs were, were, were performed. They gave to anyone, those who had need. So there's a social concern. Uh, and then it says they, meet, they met together in the temple homes and, and there's hospitality and fellowship. And, and it says God added to their number daily uh, those who were being saved. And it says, so there's evangelism and outreach. So what we see is, is there this community where there are these many gifts on display. There's teaching and truth, right? There's experience of God's power, uh, with the many signs and wonders, and there is a social concern. Those who have needs, there's needs are being addressed. We're not just focused on quote-unquote spiritual matters. We're interested in social needs. And then there's hospitality and fellowship. We're continuing to get, be together and hang out together. And there's evangelism outreach. We're continually seeking to share the good news with those who don't yet know it. Now, this is important to recognize that, that the many gifts are a mark of the y'all experience, the Spirit of God coming to a, one community. You see, you could have a community that's just focused on theological truth, but rather it, 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 it might not be that the Spirit of God is coming there. It might just be a bunch of people that are intellectually minded. You could have a community that's really focused on experiencing God and wanting to see signs and wonders, but it, it might just be that not the Spirit of God isn't necessarily coming down, that just people are hungry to experience something of significance. 
You could have a community that has really great worship, but it might be just that there's a bunch of people that are emotionally compelled and, and, you know, and have this desire to have an emotional experience in song. You could have a bunch of people that are really caring for the poor, but it might be just people that are activistically minded and wanting to be socially engaged. You could have a community that, that is, they're really loving and kind and generous, but it might be just that there's people that are really loving and kind and generous. But when the Spirit of God comes, to one place and all of these things happen, there's an evidence of this that's the Spirit of God coming. Because what happens is it's not just one personality type. It's not just one particular thing, theological truth, um, spiritual experience, um, compelling worship, uh, social concern. It's not just one thing, but it's many. I remember when we moved to Tacoma, you know, I would have so many conversations, church planner life, you don't have money to buy a meal, but you're always buying coffee, so you're just shaking. Meanwhile, you're trying to like be compelling because these people don't know you from Adam. And so they're like, is this guy trustworthy, you know? And so that's the dynamic of many of the church planner conversations on the front end. I remember so many people asking, so tell me about your church. And I'd start saying, you know, like, well, we wanna have the doors open as wide as possible. And then they'd stop and like, oh, so you kind of like wanna be an outreach church. You want to kind of, you know, kind of be, uh, you know, thinking about the people that don't know Jesus and, you know, kind of reach them. I'm like, yes, totally. But also we don't want to just lift the door, open the doors up as wide as possible. We want to lift up what's central as high as possible. And we're like, oh, so you kind of want to be a discipleship church, really thinking about how can build up Christians, people that know Jesus, really help them, edify them, teach them. Yes, but we want to do both of those things. Another conversation said, you know, the topic about, about uh, social concern and justice and equity would come up and I, I, would, I would come alive as I was talking about the need to care for the poor and, and to resource those that don't have resources to, to tra train and equip and provide for the community that has needs. And people would say, oh, so you kind of want to be like a social justice church. Is that kind of what you want to be? And it's a yes, but we also want to reach the neighborhoods and world and city for the gospel because we don't believe there's any other name under heaven of which can we can become saved. And they're like, oh, so you're like an evangelism church. Yeah, yeah, yes. We want to be all of these things. And it's not just like you can't be all of these things. You have to pick one. When the Spirit of God comes, the Spirit of God enlivens people to be who God has created them to be and the many gifts start to rise up the many gifts start to show up. This pushes against the uh, codependence thing because codependence uh, is, is like, I want to be like you. I'm identifying with, with, with who I am, with who you are. I'm gluing myself to you. But when the Spirit of God comes, the Spirit of God comes to you, to you and, to, and to you and to you. And it, come, it brings the you-ness out. It doesn't diminish the you-ness. It brings you fully alive. And so, so, so what happens is, is that the you-ness, the, the community is blessed by the you-ness that comes out as the Spirit of God comes to you. The many-giftedness pushes against the codependent spirit because it, the Spirit of God invites individuals to come alive so that the community can be 
more beautiful and become a y'all experience. Your y'all are the temple of God. You all are the temple of God. Codependent communities are like assembly lines. Just, it's all about mirroring, but spiritual dependence. So not codependence, but spiritual dependence causes people to bloom into who they truly are and who they're and how they're truly gifted. Here's the um, interesting thing is that, you know, that, that sounds maybe beautiful, but it becomes complex uh, pretty quickly. So when the Spirit of God fills you, it looks different than when the Spirit of God fills me. Again, this, this makes communities both beautiful and diverse and difficult. I remember uh, I used to, for a long time, think that people that didn't have a personality like me were just dumb. <laughs> Why don't you see it clearly like I see it clearly? How come you do the thing in that way? It's not effective, it's not helpful. Uh, how come you're so organized? Gosh, you're stressing me out. So I would use for early, for many years, I would just write people off with different personalities because they just like did not get it clearly, right? But then as I stepped into marriage, and then as I had kids and I grew as a pastor and as a leader, and then even more so as I planted church, and became more curious. Wow, I did not and do not see things that way. And what I began to see is that the community becomes so much more powerful when there's many personalities at play in the community. If the community is only an assembly line, there are large blind spots and lots of codependence. But when the community is like a garden, where there's all sorts of different things growing up together to make one y'all, it becomes incredibly powerful. Even more powerful when it's not just different personalities, but different personalities enlivened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. There's some people probably in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you talk with them and like after a conversation with them, it feels like you just left a monastery. You're just like, wow, I feel like so refreshed. It's like I had a, it's like I took a vacation. Wow, the, the, the tenor of their voice is like, how are you? You know, and there's this calm that they bring into the room just by their, by their presence. So conversations feel like you're leaving a monastery. There's other people where you leave a conversation, it feels like you just left a concert. You're just like, wow, that was, my heart's racing. I'm excited. Uh, like I, at one point I cried, you know, that was, this is amazing. And there's other people where, you know, you feel just so loved. You People are so, they seem interested in you and they're leaning in. And when you tear up, they tear up and they are patient. And, and, and are present to listening to your stories. They don't look at their phones. There's other people where your mind gets stretched. And you're like, what? I think I lost track about five minutes in, but what you said was amazing. <laughs> and there's others that you feel this call to action. We're like, oh, I am aware and to the needs of this city, the needs of this world, and I have a conviction to figure out how I can be a part of the solution. And this is just what the y'all looks like. When you move away from codependence and you allow for the manyness, the many gifts to show up, you start to see that, that really God has given us so many different personalities and giftings 
for the common good of the community. As 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 says, says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit that distributes them. So we, we, uh, we move beyond codependence by acknowledging, appreciating, savoring the many gifts that are in the room. Can I just tell you is that when you bring your gift empowered by the Holy Spirit into a community, it could be holding a door, but you, but, but you're as a greeter, but really it's more than that because you're a hospitable person or you're an excited person or you're a person that is, is like passionate about whatever you're passionate about. And that's, as that's alivened by the Holy Spirit, you bring that to that place and the community becomes richer. So when you bring, you may be in a role like serving in production or, or serving at the front door. You may be still at home inviting people into your home to watch on a Sunday morning. But, but when you bring yourself to that space with another person that's bringing themselves empowered by the Spirit to that place, the community becomes richer. We've been in a you moment. I know many of us are watching alone. We're just, you know, but I want to invite you to start thinking about what does it look like? It may not be coming here on a Sunday morning to this, a physical church, anchor church location, but it might be you in your home. You're starting to invite people into your home and you're starting to think about what is a y'all experience? Moving from a you moment to a y'all experience. What does that look like for you, for the giftedness and the personality and the, and the you-ness to come alive and then to bring another person into that mix so that, so that the temple of God, really the spirit of God, it comes in a, in a deeper, more robust, diverse, beautiful way. The second element, if we're to move beyond codependence and independence, is uh, recognizing that, that followers of Jesus are called to have everything in common. <laughs> This is it. It says this in, in, in the passage we just read. It said they had everything in common. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that everybody wears like, you know, certain color robes and drinks the same drinks and eats the same food. Like, you know, that's, that's a cult. It doesn't mean uniformity. It means unity. You see, the people in that Acts community in Acts chapter 2, we already saw how there's great diversity. There's people that are teaching. There's people that are caring for the poor. There's people that are, are praying for signs and wonders and, and, and God to come in powerful ways. There's people that are telling their neighbors. There's people that are doing all sorts of things. We've seen the great diversity in the gifts that, that, that pushes against the codependence. But here, it also says in that same passage, they had everything in common. Again, it's, this is not uniformity. Uniformity is imposed. Unity is willed. And this everything in common attitude, marker, pushes against the independent spirit. It pushes against the, the voices that say, I'm, I'm all right. I don't need you. You're not as right as me, so I'm going to go be right by myself. It pushes against this sense that well, I'm more theologically correct than you, so I'm not going to be in community with you. Or I've seen God's power work more powerfully than I think I've seen, than you've seen God work, your spirit work, so I'm going to go do this thing by myself. Or I really appreciate this style of worship, so I, and, and it doesn't seem like you kind of get it yet, so I'm going to go do this style of worship over here. Or you don't really get the, the social concern that, that is passionate to me, so rather than talking with you, 
you about that. I'm gonna go do it over here because you don't get it. It pushes them. Everything in common descriptor of the early church community pushes against the independent spirit. Paul writing to the Ephesians, we just did this study in uh, Ephesians. And so this will be common. This will be repeated for some of us. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you, when you were called in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I love that little line, one baptism. I think about the baptisms at Anchor over our short existence and how in the baptismal tank, there's been young girls and old men that have gone under the water, that have said, I am identifying with the death of Jesus. And just as he died for my sin, I am dying to sin. And then have come up old men and young girls and have come just as Jesus rose from the dead. I am identifying with the resurrection power of Jesus and living to a new life through his strength. We all share in this baptism. The baptism is not for some, but for all. And in that one example, we get a glimpse of what it means to have everything in common. We say that at the cross, kings and prostitutes stand on level ground. We have everything in common. This, when understood, deconstructs the independent spirit. It gives you the ability to sit with the person that has a different story and a different personality and has a, has a different values in some areas and to appreciate the way that the Spirit empowers them differently than the way the Spirit empowers you. But it's beyond just even the baptism, as powerful that, as that is. We have uh, like words that we use at Anchor. We have, you may not know this, you may not have come in person yet to a, to a gathering. Um, and maybe you've come in person, but you still didn't know this, but we call our Sunday morning gatherings, gatherings, not services, which has been a little complicated for a period of time when gatherings were literally illegal <laughs> in this last season. Uh, but uh, but we call them gatherings for a reason because we think service creates a mindset of like, I come so that you serve me. Gatherings creates a different attitude, a different vision where I come as a gathered people of God to worship Jesus. So we use gathering, not service, for an intentional reason. And, and when uh, actually when we first started, when somebody would say service in our core team, we would make them do push-ups like, hey, we catch you, we caught you, we caught you. And it was, you know, obviously joking, but we valued this word because it helped us understand what we were doing in this place. And what we noticed was when we shared in these words together and some of the other common words around anchor, we shared in these words, we shared in our understanding of reality. We had everything in common. I still remember, uh, when, when, when people were in need early on, in the core team phase of Anchor, and somebody would, would write a check bigger than I would have ever imagined. 
to meet that need. Why? Because we had everything in common. We still do that today. We have the Anchor Cares Fund. And let me just say, if you are ever in need, if you are ever in need, there's a, uh, in the bottom third right now, there's a link, there's a URL address where you can get those needs answered because of the giving and tithes of this community to, and the budgeting for this fund called Anchor Cares. We don't want you to go without with needs unmet. It's because we have everything in common. Candace and I had a moment where we saw this for ourselves recently. You know, our, my son, uh, Soren, uh, was in a, uh, a, a desperate spot uh, health-wise for, 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 for a while. And without us initiating it, there was a meal train set up. You've probably either participated or been the object of a meal train. Uh, I don't remember us having been. And so while it seems simple and normal, what we saw was that this community that we poured energy and emotion and time and prayer and tears into was now pouring that back into us. Meals would show up on doorsteps. Envelopes with, with gifts would show up in our mailbox because they knew that there was a need and we have everything in common. Can I tell you that when you repent of that independent spirit and appreciate that the Jesus-centered community has everything in common, not in a uniformity way, but in a beautiful unity way, you become incredibly strong as a community. You become incredibly, incredibly resilient. And can I just say that this, <laughs> this is necessary? as we think about the future of, of, of Anchor, but really just the church uh, in, in the Western world and the Pacific Northwest, we need to be communities that are incredibly resilient. You know, the church is the only, only organization, only community that I can think of that is both called to live for the good of the world, world while believing that the world doesn't necessarily live for the good of the church. The church is the only organization that I can think of that is called to live for the good of the world while also not conforming to the patterns of the world. So there's this tension inherent in the very life of a Jesus-centered community where we are called to love and serve our neighbors and we don't expect that in return. And sometimes the patterns of the world become corrosive and erosive uh, to our faith if we engage in them. So what that means is we need church communities that are incredibly strong. The principle is this, is that um, when there's external strain, a community needs internal strength. The story that I can think of that probably better than any other describes this is um, uh, centers around the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know him, he was a pastor during the Second World War. Uh, has written books like Cost of Discipleship that maybe you've heard of or maybe have read. Um, but he was leading an underground seminary um, in the early stages of Nazi Germany, a resistance movement toward the ways, the destructive, evil ways of the world expressed in that particular time. At one point, he uh, brought his friend in a boat, uh, went across the, the lake, climbed to the top of this hill, 
and pointed out where, the, where he had this underground seminary called Finkenwald, and then also pointed at, at a Nazi training camp. And he said, pointing to this underground seminary, he said, this must be stronger to that than that. This must be stronger than that. Now, we are not in his situation in any measure. We are not in uh, 1939 Germany. We're, we're, that's just not where we're at. But we live in a moment of time where uh, without, uh, if we go, if we, without thinking about it, we could get wrapped up in to conforming to the pattern of this world. We have to think, what does it look like to be a community that moves beyond codependence and independence, but is emotionally healthy, spiritually empowered, Jesus-centered, interdependent? And to answer that question, to embody that answer, we have to be able to say this, this community, we have everything in common and we have many gifts. We have everything in common. We have many gifts. This is stronger than that. The ultimate picture of this is found in the one we follow, Jesus, who, though died, though offered himself in sacrifice, demonstrated in the resurrection, that that life of sacrifice is stronger than anything the world has. And when we know that, when we appreciate that, when we savor that, we can endure the challenges of meeting people with different personalities that are weird and foreign to ours. We can engage in and appreciate also that we have everything in common.